0: Welcome back ladies and gentlemen to the Stephen Talk Soccer Podcast. I am back again as always like I am every single match week of the Premier League season. This is Premier League match week 13, match day 13 breakdown on the Stephen Talk Soccer Podcast. If you guys are loving the content, if, if this is your first time coming to the Stephen Talk Soccer Podcast, welcome ladies and gentlemen, welcome. To the home of the most controversial football opinions and takes, as well as the home of elite. Yes, you know the term elite football knowledge. You're more than welcome here. I appreciate you listening and tuning in. But before I go any further, make sure to download, to follow, to subscribe, to leave a rating, to leave a review, to leave a something of, of that sort, of that nature, to share this with whoever you know that loves and would love and loves football as much as we do on this podcast it would be massively appreciated make sure to send this steven talk soccer pack i am literally everywhere on amazon uh, music i'm on spotify i'm on apple podcast i'm on stitcher if that's what it's called i'm on deezer whatever you can think of i'm there so look me up and you'll find me and you know help support the gang you know we're, we're slowly growing slow, english slowly growing and only beginning only getting more and more uh, well recognized so i really appreciate all the love And you know who did really appreciate the love was Nottingham Forest fans, who obviously were clapping on their team to a very, very historic 1-0 win over the red side of Merseyside Liverpool Football Club. Now let's get straight into the business, ladies and gentlemen, Taiwo Awoni, the former Liverpool striker himself, who never got really that much love or that much of a look-in at Liverpool Scores the winning goal of the game. And, uh, it was a very good, uh, Newcastle, before- oh, Newcastle. Whoa, I mix up teams now. The end teams. I don't know why I was mixed up the teams with the, the same letter of the beginning of their name. But anyways, Nottingham Forest with, uh, a, a very good, not convincing per se. I'd say, but, uh, Dean Henderson was what, what was, uh, he was what was English again. He was what, Stood out to me and to probably to most football fans in this game. Same thing with Allison in goal for Liverpool. But then Dean, Dean Henderson is the reason why Nottingham Forest, I thought, were able to come away with all three points. He made a, a flurry of saves. I thought he was absolutely brilliant, uh, in goal for, for Nottingham Forest. Liverpool had a 1.66 expected goals, um, ratio in this game. It just means the amount of chances that they created. This is how many goals they probably should have scored based, based on the opportunities that they were able to conjure up. They had four big chances that they created Liverpool, four which were all missed, obviously, because they didn't score. Overall, I thought Dean Henderson, like I said, was exceptional. You look at Nottingham Forest's XG, they had a 1.85 XG, so even closer to getting two goals than Liverpool were, based on all the stats if you're a stat merchant. They had five big chances, Nottingham Forest, and missed four of them, and obviously scored one of them, which is the one that Taiwo Iwani scored for Nottingham Forest in the 55th minute now my predictions which by the way they're all on tiktok if you guys want to go follow me on tiktok go do so it's at stsfc it is the most simple username i could think of and i think it'll be easy for all of us to remember no longer this weird like period and then like a name and then an underscore and then like maybe two or three numbers after no just stsfc you'll find me there you'll see me all my predictions on that on my page i did predict that liverpool would win this game I think like most people, most sane people would predict Liverpool to win this game. Let's be real. Uh, If you didn't predict that, I mean, I wasn't shouting at the app, be real. (laughs) But if you didn't predict that, then, I mean, kudos to you for getting the scoreline correct or nearly right if you predicted a draw. But uh, you expect Liverpool to win. They're coming on a really good run of form after having put up a very good performance against Manchester City in their last game. Overall, it was quite a a thrilling game of football. Definitely a match worth watching. And if you know anything about the history of Nottingham Forest and Liverpool, Liverpool have never beaten Nottingham Forest at the city ground since Nottingham Forest have played Liverpool in English football top flight, I believe. Uh, Which just gives you even more context to show you that Nottingham Forest not only current iteration of Nottingham Forest but the previous ones as well were also just as as competent and capable of, of stifling and stunting Liverpool's progress in a match and for Nottingham Forest a team who we know have been very very mixed in terms of results and performances they're trying to gel in a, a squad of 22 new players Many, many things are happening in Nottingham Forest. You know, they're looking to change around the manager, potentially. They just gave the the manager, I guess, in that same breath. They gave their manager, Steve Cooper, a new contract extension. So just a lot is going on, you know. And, I mean, for Nottingham Forest to pick up a result like this will mean the world to them. Even if they get relegated, this will be the the most impressive performance of their season, or at least the result of their season, I think, beating Liverpool, a team like Liverpool, who are obviously one of the biggest sides, arguably, in world football, let alone in the Premier League. Really good result for Nottingham Forest. Like I said, Liverpool threw the kitchen sink at them. Van, Virgil van Disney had at least three or four chances to score for Liverpool. Van Dyke had many opportunities to put Liverpool ahead instead of, you know, looking to be unselfish and find a team. And he could have easily had swung it into someone else and made the ball find its way to a Mohamed Salah who was open. Or again, probably Salah twice on that same very, you know, same instance in the game. But overall, like I said, a very good game of football and an unfortunate for result for Liverpool, obviously we're slowly picking up some form and you know beating Rangers, beating City, beating West Ham, or West Ham then beating beating City, and then they play against uh, you know Nottingham Forest side. Well, they, let's be honest, they probably expected to roll Nottingham Forest over. And if you know anything about football, it's extremely unpredictable, and the things that you expect to happen don't always happen. It kind of reminds you of life, you know, like the things that you least expect to happen happen, and uh, the same thing happened in this game. Things you can't always predict end up being the case, and. With this result, nobody really, unless you are some sort of, you know, uh, football uh, psychic guru, (laughs) would have been able to know that Nottingham Forest were going to go on to win the game, uh, you know, the way that they did. Again, of course, it's even more poetic that Awani scored his, you know, I think it's his second or third goal in the season against Liverpool. A player who's been, was excellent at at Union Union Berlin in Germany in the Bundesliga last season. That's why Nottingham Forest obviously signed them. He finally is able to make... You know, more of a name for himself in the Premier League with a very good goal again, like I said, and just, I mean, a great way to 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 kind of cement yourself back into the side. He's been flirting in, in and out of the lineup with Emmanuel Dennis and then maybe Brendan Johnson might play up there. They might have other strikers that come into the fold that play over him. But overall, like I said, nothing of course. So this is a humongous, humongous, humongous result. And for them, who they play against Arsenal next at the uh, Emirates, it's not going to get any easier for them. But for them to pick up a win against Liverpool and then and then to lose again, you know, in games against um, who did they lose against recently? To lose against other teams that are close, much closer to them in the table it shows you just how quickly and how volatile the Premier League can be. You know, you go one week from being one of the best teams by far, no, not not in the Premier League, nothing for it, but beating. How do I say this? They go from playing against teams that they should be beating or at least drawing against and losing against them to play against bigger sides that you expect them to lose against and beating them that's the, that's the Premier League in a nutshell so anyways we'll move on from Nottingham Forest and Liverpool very good game overall like I said if you haven't caught this game you you know at least check out the highlights I would highly 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 recommend it it was a really really exciting game for sure um we will move on to the next fixture i mean quickly to add more context, i guess before we go further onto the next top six team that played they, their last game was a loss against wolves a one nothing loss which isn't terrible then they got destroyed against leicester so these are teams they should be beating or at least picking up points Le- wolves leicester you know fulham like fulham have been very good this season but teams that you'd expect them to find some sort of result against some sort of um impressive or or industrious performance that allows them to not you know lose or relinquish all three points from the game but anyways we will move on to the next fixture between uh <laughs> there's many games to choose from obviously there's tw- uh, 20 wow it's crazy 20 teams that play 10 games like always do your math steven but the next game we will go to will be the big game of the weekend chelsea won manchester united won I thought United were actually going to win this game. I'm going to be very honest with you. I think they probably should have given the balance of play and the amount of chances that they were able to create in the opening exchanges of the match. I was quite surprised by how, you know, uh, unlucky United were. They had so many opportunities. Anthony, my boy, had chances to score. You had the likes of uh, Rashford who had an opportunity to score if it wasn't for a great goalkeeping from Kepa, who has been, you know, playing out of his skin right now for Chelsea. I thought overall, especially up until the point that... um The point that Chelsea made the switch, which again, everyone has been talking about, the tactical switch of taking off a defender in Mark Kukurea to bring on a midfielder in Kovacic to add more bodies to the midfield. I think Grand Potter realized his mistake quite quickly and noticed that Chelsea were getting overrun in the midfield, hence why I think United were by far the dominant team. But even after that, I still think United were were the side looking more threatening throughout the 90 minutes. Uh, The goal that did come for Chelsea actually came for number five himself, J5, Jennifer, as we call him, Jorginho uh, it wasn't uh, you know pretty performance from him despite him coolly dispatching his penalty and putting it away I don't know what Scott McTominay was thinking you know goes one week from scoring a winner for United against ammonia to next week being a rugby player which is what I normally call him and conceding a very needless penalty on Armando Broya in the box now, it was a great penalty from Jorginho. But if you know anything about Chelsea, you know that there's never an easy way for us to, to see out a game. So it's like the 87th minute Jorginho scores. Then we reach the 90th minute. And I see the fourth official put up the board. Yeah, this is where the fourth official is the guy on the sideline. Puts up the board into, um, above his head. And he said, I mean, not not say. He just shows the sign. And it says six minutes, which means six added minutes at the, at the end of the game. Now, when I saw that, I said to myself, yeah, it's going to be a long six minutes you know what's about to happen next Chelsea fans almost to the point where I didn't even celebrate when Jorginho scored not only because I'm not really his biggest fan one of his biggest credits you could argue but also because I just knew that this this goal wouldn't really meet be or mean or you know whatever the word is it wouldn't mean that much it wouldn't be that significant simply because I know that Chelsea always have a stinker somewhere in them especially towards the end of the game you've seen it against Wolves last season we've seen it against uh Tottenham earlier this season it, it just uh, it's it's a trend with this Chelsea team we see it all the time and that's why I was expecting nothing less as I say that Benfica have just scored a fourth goal and they're now beating Juventus for one wow what's that's absolutely incredible they're destroying this Juventus team <laughs> Benfica anyways um, just back to the game really really uh, it was quite predictable from Chelsea and from a United perspective they'll be obviously ecstatic with the point and probably deservedly give you know given one great header from Casemiro who made Kepo Stretch with every limb of his, you know, every extension of his body that he could to keep it out. Wasn't able to fully keep it out. Goal line or goal line de- te- technology, whatever it's called, goal line decision system, whatever it's called, had to check it. A Hawkeye had to check it, and obviously the ball was most correctly over the line, it was over the line, and the goal was correctly given, but uh really good header from Casemiro, the way he generated that kind of power. His first goal for Manchester United, and the way he celebrated made it seem like he'd been playing for United for the last 40 years of his life. So I thought that was pretty funny, but uh, again, great performance from from him in particular. I thought he was very good, Casemiro, and kind of capped off what was a, a game that United probably should have won. The one nothing scoreline that I had anticipated would be the final score in my prediction. Overall, I think Grand Potter will be fine with the fact that we're still unbeaten and as I'm recording this Chelsea have actually just beaten Salzburg so this is also continuing Grand Potter's unbeaten run at Chelsea which is fantastic from a Chelsea fan perspective even when we're not playing the best although we played very good today against Salzburg. Even when we're not playing a mess like Chelsea did against United, we still find a way to grind out some sort of result, which is always a good sign. Yes, it could still be new manager bounce hundred percent. And from a United perspective, Eric Ten Hag's football is clearly starting to find its its way into the side little by little, player by player, which is you know it couldn't be greater for for United fans and, and uh players alike. So that's a very good sign going forward. Them again, not really the most entertaining game. I can't tell you the amount of times that I as a fan, Chelsea fan or not, have watched Chelsea play versus Manchester United, and and it'd be a very similar, very dull, very predictable one-one score line. It's probably happened at least, and I mean, it's probably there's no nowhere to lie. Since I watched at least the Premier League, at least seven or eight, or maybe eight or nine times, and it's just getting ridiculous at this point how how this game always is deadlocked. is always ending up in a draw, some sort of like you know unheard of or obscene one-one that. It's expected because both teams never want to lose and they always play as if they need to, you know, win the Champions League or the the Premier League within the game, uh, which is fair cuz it's two highly uh, qualified and, you know, what's it called, well-equipped teams. But the draws are getting ridiculous now. Chelsea haven't beaten Manchester United since 2017, which is I think in 10 attempts or yeah, 10 attempts after this game in the Premier League, which is absolutely absurd if you, <laughs> if you really deep what that means that since Antonio Conte was with Chelsea and he beat United and of course Conte lost against United himself with Spurs only last week so you know life is funny like that the parallels are being made like there's no tomorrow what is this the Steven Talk Soccer podcast or is this the Matrix I really couldn't tell you you guys can answer that question for me Uh, we will move on uh, to the next fixture I feel like I said enough on the what I needed to say in this game not really one that had many moments of brilliance except for the fact that Anthony had not made Chilwell and sent him back to you know to Leicester and even probably back to to the early days of his playing career. Let's be real. Anthony really... He just sent him to the shops with that. That was a... He got destroyed with that. I'll be real. But um a really good game from Anthony too. He thought He really stood out to me. A very, very good player at United. Very, very good signing. He'll probably prove to be. But move on now. For real, for real this time. Moving on to Manchester City 3. Brighton 1. None other than Mr. Inevitable. I still feel like I'm saying Mr. Incredible, which is almost what you could argue that he is. But Mr. Inevitable, Erling Braut Haaland. Scores yet again, a brace in this game for Manchester City. Really just a game of where you know Haaland's going to do what Haaland does best. Uh, no other, uh, no, and no other it's, ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's really what you'd expect him to do, especially given how well he's taken to the Premier League so far since coming from Bor- Borussia Dortmund last, uh, you know, this past summer. Holland with the brace, a very good ball which found them from Ederson, a long pass which you know Holland is kind of in a battle with Adam Webster, who he just shrugged to the ground, which seemed to be a trend this weekend with uh, with goalkeepers and defenders defending. Long balls and making mistakes. We saw it with Spurs as well. We'll get to that game in a second. But Dortmund... Why am I saying Dortmund? Because City are playing Dortmund right now. And they just... They gave a penalty to City. Moving on. (laughs) Back to Erling Haaland now. Erling Haaland... Had the uh, He had the gracefulness to shrug off Adam Webster and then pass the ball into an empty net once Robert Sanchez also realized him leaving his line was the wrong decision and getting beaten as well by the ball and Haaland, of course, who had it at his feet. Haaland then makes it one nothing, if I'm not mistaken. And then we get a penalty, which I would be real with you, shouldn't have been given, but it is what it is, just like in this game between City and Dortmund in the Champions League. It's the same thing we saw with Bernardo Silva versus who did they play against? Against Brighton. Same thing. Bernardo Silva gets clipped. For me, it's a very soft penalty. This one looked more like a pen, but the, the one for the one for Bernardo Silva was quite soft in my eyes. Given by the referee after VAR checked it and said, "You know, referee, go check the VAR." Blah 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 blah. All of a sudden, Holland steps up and he makes a mockery of, of the goalkeeper, Robert Sanchez, in goal. Let's be real; Sanchez had no chance of saving that. Haland had scored and celebrated before he he'd even touched the ball when he was at the penalty spot. Um, again, second half for City was quite convincing, barring the chances, which maybe could have gone in Brighton's favor because Brighton actually had a fairly decent game. They weren't bad at all, Brighton. And, uh, you know, it's funny enough because Brighton. Tend to do this against Manchester City, where they put up a very good performance in a losing effort, you could say, because they often don't beat City, obviously, if ever. But uh, they they always find a way to put out a good, decent performance. They give a fight to City. They don't just sit back and and play dead and expect to get beaten the way Burnley used to. You know, when they leave turf to go to to Etihad or even get beaten at turf against City rather. But Trossard, who's been the only player that seems to be able to score for her, uh, <laughs> for Brighton, especially underneath Roberto De Zerbi, Scored again, yet again for, um, for, for Brighton. A very good finish at the near post, making it very difficult for the, uh, the keeper, Ederson, to save. A very good finish from him, like I said. You know, just a, such a very, very quality and, and technical player. He has all the right skills and attributes to be a, a truly a, a quality player, you know, in the Premier League. I read something recently that he signed a pre contract with Chelsea. We'll see if that ends up being true. If it is, then Chelsea have quite the player on their hands because this guy is a dangerous, dangerous winger. He can do a bit of everything, extremely versatile. Towel, and he knows where the goal is, if you saw in this instance as well. We then saw obviously Kevin De Bruyne, who made it 3-1, and this is easily a goal of the week contender. This is a classic Kevin De Bruyne goal. If you're anybody who's not Manchester City, or anybody that's playing against Manchester City and you're and you're defending against them, and you have Kevin De Bruyne sitting in front of you, just in front of the 18-yard box, you know, having time and space to shoot as he was given by the Brighton defenders in midfield, you know it's going to be a long day. So after Traoré scores, then you have Kevin De Bruyne, who then, you know, just just slaps his right boot at the ball and buries it into the top left-hand corner, leaving, again, Sanchez with utterly no chance of saving it. I'd say non-existent, like negative chances of saving the goal. That's how good it was. Truly, truly remarkable. I have to be honest. Um, a really good goal from him. Really, really good goal. And De Bruyne again shows us his quality. And when he plays and when he's on form, and you know, De Bruyne is that guy, generational as he is. We say this all the time. I say this all the time in the podcast for a reason. I think he's one of the best midfielders I've ever seen play. Uh, I don't think we're going to see many like De Bruyne with this combination of skills or the skill set that he has. Really, really spectacular. Making it 3 1 for Manchester City. A really good result for the citizens. They will be delighted. And when we come back, I'll be delighted to go on and give you guys more of a rundown of what happened in the Premier League Match Day 13. We'll be looking at the next game between Southampton and the mighty Arsenal. And then we'll also be looking at the games between every other game as well. But the Arsenal fixture, of course, as well. Then we'll be looking at Tottenham-Newcastle. Then we'll be looking at Everton Palace. Wolves versus Leicester, which saw some screamers. Look at Leeds-Fulham, which was a very good game. All of the games are quite quality. The Premier League had some... Some really good football on display this, this, uh, this match day for sure. Definitely one to remember. But when we come back from the break, we'll be discussing all of this and more. And now, ladies and gentlemen, back to the rest of the episode of match day 13 of the Premier League season on the Stephen Talks Soccer Podcast. Let's go straight into the match between the Gunners and Southampton. Top of the table Arsenal Football Club of who I predicted to win this game in comfortable fashion. Expecting them to really just brush aside a very irrelevant and almost just, you know, self-damaging Southampton side. Didn't happen in this game. Southampton were again put out a fantastic performance and we've seen them do this many times this season where they turn up in games where nobody expects them to where they put up a a shocking performance the week before and all of a sudden Southampton turn up and say to themselves we're going to go out there and give 100% for 100 for the cause which is exactly what we saw yet again in this fixture again the scoring was opened by arsenal which is becoming a normally a normality a formality an expectation nowadays given how well they play we don't expect anything less from arsenal really i mean they always find ways to to cut on their opposition it's one of their strong many strong suits under this newly revived arteta side Granite jacka opening the score for opening the score english for Arsenal in the 11th minute after some very good football, some very good combination play between Ben White, who's become, a, again, Daniel Alba of his own kind at right back for Arsenal, combining with none other than the star boy himself, Bukayo Saka, Finding his way back to, to Ben White, who puts in a delicious cross into Granite Jacka on his weaker right foot, which makes his goal all the more impressive, and Jacka finds a way to stab it into the back of the net. very, very good ball from Ben White, and a classic classy finish from Granite Jacka, who seems to be finding his, himself on a score sheet much more now, again, in another newly uh, rev- uh, revolutionized role for him in the team where he's asked to be a lot more forward, a lot more progressive and attacking in, you know in the final third and scoring goals for Arsenal than he used to in Granite Jacka. Making one Arsenal had chances to go two up in this game as well. I mean, the XG said they only had 0.99 XG, which means just the one goal, which is what they scored. But they did have three big chances and they missed two of them, which shows you there were opportunities to be taken for them. One of which was obviously scored in the second half by Martin Odegaard, which was then called for offside. Uh, We did then see an equalizer, however, not Harvey Barnes, Stuart Armstrong, an equalizer this time. Stuart Armstrong... Scoring an equalizer for Southampton, making it one one, and again, this was probably the best passage of play in, in the game. this build up to find Stuart Armstrong, I thought was brilliant Elianusi, who we know is actually he's pretty good, he has some quality in his game i've seen this and said this and seen and seen him do this for some time now. really good pass to find jack uh, jack Stuart Armstrong in the in between the gap, and then a very simple and Calm finish from Armstrong. Almost like he, you know, like I said, he was prepared to score before he struck it. He just knew, like, yep, the keeper's gonna be here. I'm gonna telegraph where I'm gonna put this ball. He played it where he said he'd play it in his mind, and it went to the back of the net. One-one. The game became so much more open, especially for Southampton. It really favored them. How you know how high the tempo increase and how much the intensity of the game just changed almost to a completely new octave, a new level. Uh, instantaneously after that goal was scored. Southampton then you know put the they put the the nitros on they just said you know what we're gonna go out there and really just go gung-ho now let's see if we can find a winner they nearly did they also had their chances as well again xg wouldn't really tell you that but if you watched the game with your eyes you'd see that they had many opportunities for either team to go on and win Arsenal will be disappointed with only the one point obviously they want to keep up their excellent run in the Premier League so far this season I don't think this will really derail them to be honest I think it's still you know good for the money to at least be challenging for the title in some relative capacity, you know, from now until the end of the year. End of the year meaning end of the uh, end of the Premier League year. But uh good, good result for Southampton, for sure. You know, Southampton will be delighted with this. Hassan Houtel as well, who's been linked with the move away. I mean, new teams or teams that have, have recently sacked their manager have both gotten new coaches. So we'll be able to talk about them in a second and those teams as well. But from a Southampton perspective, they play against... Crystal Palace away next, which will be a very interesting game. Then they play against Newcastle, who will be difficult. And then they play against Sheffield Wednesday as well. So, I mean, these fixtures are fixtures you expect Southampton to give you some sort of result from. But typical Southampton, they probably drop points in most of those games, maybe barring the Sheffield Wednesday one, where they should win, given that they're at home in the EFL Cup. So... Anyways, we'll move on to the next Big Six game. I don't want to spend too much time talking about Side Time unless you guys are Saints fans. This is not a Saints podcast, but I will show them some love because they were very good in the second half of that game. Moving on to Tottenham 1, Newcastle United 2, which is exactly what I predicted in my predictions. Boy, am I getting good at this, and I'm very proud of myself. Let me, let me get a moment to really you know properly stroke my ego because of the fact that I'm, I'm finding ways to kind of guess and guesstimate and educatedly guess what the scoreline of the game is going to be. I did it again for this fixture. I had a feeling Newcastle would win this game, and the scoreline was spot on. Newcastle 2, Tottenham 1. At the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, Spurs, again, classic fossil football, fossil football club FC. If you guys haven't heard what expressions, oozing sauce expressions himself had said post-match, even during the game. (laughs) He was just, again, he's going to, I'm going to be reiterating what he said, but it's just, we say the same thing every time when we talk about Conte. You know, he's trying to play 2017 football in 2022. It doesn't work that way anymore, Antonio. The Premier League has evolved much more than you think it has, my friend. Yes, you have some decent balance in the squad, but it's clear that the style of football isn't going to garner you those consistent, convincing results. Yes, Spurs have been winning games this season. Yes, they've only lost once, I believe that is. Yes, all of those things are true. However, there's a huge caveat: is at what expense the eyes, the, the eyes of the fans' expense, meaning they're literally wanting to rip their eyes out as they watch their team play, and also it's not sustainable. And in football, especially in the Premier League season, 38 games now days more than ever, you need to be good every single game of the season. Every game you need to be not as good as you were the last game, but simply able to keep some sort of consistent form in the side. So you always have a level or like a maintaining a high standard where even if you drop off a little bit in matches, you find you still find your 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 roots, your foundation that makes you a very formidable side. I'm gonna be honest, I don't think Spurs were very good in this game and I thought they would definitely deserve to lose uh, I thought Newcastle were absolutely sublime in this match, and everything about their play showed that. I thought the way they bossed around the the Tottenham midfield just exemplified just exactly why you know they were the winning team. Bruno G, bro, Bruno Gimarish. I mean, what more can I say about Bruno Gimarish? I spoke about him many times on my Rescuing Leon episode. I did it again, even recently after that as well. If you guys want to go check out those episodes, they're all there in the catalog of the Steven Talk Soccer Podcast episodes, nearly at 100 episodes, by the way, which I think is a huge feat. But regardless, 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 what has to be mentioned as well is that, um, is that Spurs were just, So predictable and one-paced. Yes, they had their chances, especially in the first half. They had their chances to score goals. Sun in particular, Kane had a chance as well. If it wasn't for great goalkeeping from Nick Pope, who, by the way, has been a brilliant signing for Newcastle this season. And the way that Newcastle have five or even six or seven players playing both either in the back five or in the two midfielders in front of them who are all capable of playing on the ball almost flawlessly they have excellent ball retention very very good vision for a pass they're great at they're great at um, being press resistant they can you know play out of the back almost effortlessly this is why Newcastle have been so good defensively they're exceptional there's not much other superlatives you can give this team they've been one of the best teams in the Premier League this season Newcastle I haven't mentioned them very much I don't watch many Newcastle games I'll, I will be honest but when I do see them play as I did in this game I said you know I have to watch this. now surely this is the only game on at this time I definitely will watch this game And I love playing Spurs, so I knew this game was going to be good. And yet again, Newcastle put on a clinic, shown by what we saw from Callum Wilson, who scored a very unorthodox goal, but just some shocking, shocking goalkeeping from a keeper I expect nothing less from because I'm not a huge fan of his. I'm going to be real with you. I don't expect very much from Hugo Lloris, not a guy I really rack or rate, I'll be real. And uh, he made a mistake again coming out of his goal and thinking he got fouled by Callum Wilson. But clearly it wasn't a foul, especially if he's the one coming out of his box. When you're a keeper and you leave your 18-yard area, you stop becoming or you stop living underneath the privileges of being a goalkeeper. And you're now just a regular footballer on the pitch. And when that happened, you're like, OK, if it's a 50-50 between Glorice, the keeper, and a player, Alpi player, and Wilson, it has to be considered like a normal challenge with a defender and a, or a midfielder and a, an attacker for Newcastle and Spurs. Then the ball finds its way to Wilson, who literally puts a audacious left-footed chimp, chimp chip over the, uh, the the Spurs' back line. And just, just oh man, it's a really, really, I can't even can't even find the words right now. It was a very, very well-taken finish from a striker who, when he plays, is quite clinical in Callum Wilson. We you know how good he can be in front of goal and has continued to prove to be... Uh, you know, Eddie Howe's talisman. He's just a bagsman. Really, that's what he does. He just scores goals. You know, you play well, he scores. You don't play well, he still scores. He makes himself a nuisance. He was really good this game, Wilson. Did everything a striker is asked to do, I thought, especially against a very, very well set up defensively sound side normally from Conte's perspective, you know, with Dyer and with um, Davinson Sanchez and Ritlanley, who, by the way, segueing into the next goal for Newcastle, got absolutely cooked by Miguel Almiron, who destroyed him in that move. I mean, <laughs> the way Almirón just took that ball on from, you know, a very poor again another mistake from Lloris, poor poor uh, play out pass from Lloris to Sesidong, who was dispossessed then by Miguel Almirón. Almirón then beats literally everybody in the Spurs backline, including Lloris, with a very very cheeky neat and tidy finish underneath Lloris's, uh right arm to make it two 0 to, to Newcastle going into halftime. And I was a bit afraid, afraid, cause I said, you know, Spurs at home and you know what they're capable of. Like fans are gonna back them. Harry Kane's gonna score. And in the second half, that's exactly what happened. All of my fears end up becoming true, only to a certain extent. Of course, Newcastle did still end up winning, as I hoped they would. And uh, we saw a very good, you know, classic Harry Kane, uh, sneaky back post header that just led to some very, very... I mean, it made me and, and many Newcastle fans a very touchy and nervous time post-Harry Kane uh, having of the deficit, let's say, when Kane had made it Newcastle 2, Tottenham 1 after that... Uh, Diving header he scored. Good header from Kane. I have to give him credit. It was a very good header. But uh, Newcastle made things a bit nervy for me as a fan, hoping they would win. And for Tottenham fans, made things more interesting for them, obviously, because Kane's given them some life, some purpose, some impetus to go on and really, you know, get a, some sort of uh, convincing uh, um, second half comeback that would allow them to pick up at least a point. But uh, overall... Excellent performance in Newcastle. Joe Linton was brilliant. Bruno Guimaraes was brilliant. Uh, I thought Trippier was excellent. I mean, Sven Botman, I don't really have anything to say about that guy except that he's the future of centre backs. He's one of the best I've seen play in the Premier League this season. He's been absolutely sensational. Truly a, a world class uh, centre back in the making. We're seeing it in front of our eyes. Very very good player he is. And uh, yeah, that's all I got to say in vis-a-vis Newcastle Spurs. We will move yeah, English. We will now move on to Everton versus Crystal Palace. A game I thought would finish in a draw. It ended up finishing as a 3-0 win for Super Frankie Lampard's men. A very good result for Super Frankie Lampard who will be very grateful that Everton are able to bounce back after their poor, poor, poor showing in their last fixture. A game where, you know, Everton... Again, dominated from minute one to minute 90. This was their game to lose, really. They like having a game against Palace. They've always enjoyed it. For some reason, it's just a game they turn up in. And they did it again. Calvert-Lewin scoring in the 11th minute for Everton. Just showing you exactly the levels that he's currently, you know, trying to get back to rather rather than what he's on. He's not on any levels right now. Everton have literally lost the last three games going into this match, you know, against Newcastle, against Tottenham, and then against United. We're all fairly decent sides. But, um, for them to go on and win the way they did, given that Palace had won their last game is pretty impressive. And I, I, thought that they, the way that they were able to battle and win this game so convincingly in the end was a really, really good showing for Lampard and his men. This shows you that against the other fellow, you know, mid-table teams, Everton should probably be picking up some sort of a result, some sort of a impressive performance, especially at home at the, at Goodison Park, as they did. I mean, every player had a, a green rating on this VOT mob list that I'm looking at, barring Damari Gray, who, I'll be honest. I, I would agree from what I saw. It was not impressive. But barring him, it will be who had two assists. It will beino looking like a you know prime um, looking like prime Zidane. Like <laughs> I'm watching this guy and I'm like, yo, what's happened to a Wobi from Arsenal that like we were all memeing all the time? Scored that one screamer against Chelsea in the Europa League final like two or three or four years ago. And I mean, ever since then, uh, he's now been at Everton and not really had the greatest of careers at Everton. But Lampard has turned him into a Wobinho for a reason—a I-N-H-O, like a Brazilian, like really, uh, playing out of his socks right now. Will Be and a really good game he had as well. I mean, overall, Palace had did have chances. They had nine shots in the game. They didn't have any real big chances, however. But uh, they did they, the English. They did have their opportunities. They had more. They had the more of the. Majority of possession, which, as we know in football, doesn't really mean anything if you're not doing anything with it. And Everton did do something with it, and case in point, they were able to win. Goals from Dominic calvert and like I said, great goal. A goal from Anthony Gordon, which a very lucky one for him. It just found its way to him, but great goal poaching from him, you could say. And a lovely, lovely finish from Dwight McNeely. Burnley legend, Dwight McNeil. And if you look at this Everton team, I mean you have two center backs in Connor Cody and Ben Tar- and James Tarkovsky, who were leaders of their clubs respectively, before they'd made the move to Everton. One of which those teams, one of those teams got relegated, obviously, in Burnley, another one is struggling and probably will get relegated in Wolves. We'll get to them next. And when you have that foundation in, in your defense, and we know that the spine of of team is the most important thing in football. We talk about this all the time. You need to be able to have from striker to goalkeeper, goalkeeper to striker, a very solid and very formidable um, core. And Everton seem to be having that. I mean, let's not say it's like top three, top four, not necessarily, but definitely against the teams where they don't have as good as a spine. And I would argue that is Palace's problem. Uh, you'll see a team with a bit more stability throughout the middle of the, of the team go on to pick up results, again, especially at home. So with Tarkovsky, with uh, Cody, who we just know are absolute monsters. You know, England professionals who played for the the national team. Probably at least one of them will be called up for the England squad for the World Cup coming in a couple of weeks as well. You can expect that, I think, almost uh, assuredly. Uh, Really good performance from Everton. I have to give them some love. I feel like this team could actually go places in the future. Still going to be that random Everton side that pick up random results where they don't deserve to win or they get beaten by a side they should never be losing against. However, this result will show me, and hopefully we'll see it for the future if you're an Everton fan, that they can continue and build on this. Because they should be able to. They have a great midfield. They have really good centre-backs who are extremely experienced. And, I mean, their full-backs are dead, let's be honest. But uh, they do a job from time to time. And up front, they need to fix up. Let's be real. They need to fix that front three for sure. But um, moving forward now, on to the next game, which is between Wolves and Leicester City. Now... Again, yet another fixture where I'm thinking like, wow, like surely Wolves have to pick up a result against no second half FC, but Sleeper Club FC and Wolves that they are just found a way to get, make the game as boring as it classically had to be. Not boring, sorry, but boring for their fans and how they got battered by, <laughs> by, um, by Leicester. Leicester, who we know have had one of the most up and down, all around, you know, do the hokey pokey, you know, like type of season that we've seen, like ring around the rosy. It was just like a, it was a game that just, it showed you what the Premier League can be in, in an instant. You can have weeks where Leicester and Wolves look like teams that are guaranteed to get relegated. And then when they play each other, one team who's was, have been you know this Leicester have been arguably one of the worst teams this season, putting up a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant performance against the Wolves side, who really look like they're doomed right now. I'm going to be honest, and if you look at it in that fixture, Leicester City, man, I mean, <laughs> what more can I say about James Madison, who we know is just. Uh, He's a special, special player, that guy is. And if you know anything about me, you know, Madison's one of my favorite players for a reason. I talk about him every single week, even when Leicester win or lose. It don't matter. I absolutely love this guy, yeah, James Madison. What I have to say, however, and I'm going to be spoiling it right now, so I don't care. Forget this segment coming later in the episode. Let's do it right now, ladies and gentlemen. The goal of the week, it has to be none other than Yuri Tielemans. If you don't think this, stop listening to the episode right now. Just burn it and, and you know, fire, fire, vida. Just let, let it go. It's not what you think it is. You know what I'm saying? What a goal from Yuri Tielemans. Eight minutes in. Wolves love conceding screamers. It's something they have in their DNA. Conceding screamers from the opposition. Tielemans here with a... Absolute pearler off the post. Like it was just something you'd you write when you draw it up in like a book or like in like a, a movie that you say, okay, so the ball's going to hit this part of the net and it's going to go in and then they instantly cue the crowd going wild. It's exactly what happened for Leicester. Wonderful goal, wonderful way to open the scoring, both in the game and also for, for, for Leicester City in the match, of course. And then we saw another goal from Habibans. Who well, I'm telling you guys, I I did say this before, and I still believe this. And when that episode on Lester comes out, which again, it still will, I promise you. I keep saying this, but it is coming. It's just being scheduled to come later than. um I might have said it would, rather. However, Harvey Barnes with a goal in the 19th minute. Classic Harvey Barnes. You know, another great finish from Harvey Barnes. We know, I said this before, I'll say it again, just like Jared, Jared Bowen. And I know I'll ask you guys this question. I'll even put it on Twitter, on Twitter, on Twitter and Instagram. You guys should go follow me at CSFC. You know where it is. I'll put out a, a a poll between Bowen and um, and Barnes, and I want you guys to tell me who you think is the better player. I, I still think it's 50-50. I think goals like this show you just how clinical Barnes can be when he's in good form, especially against teams like Leeds and Wolves, who he loves scoring against. That he's going to show you just how quality he can be. Uh, in the second half, James Madison gone into the scoring, and I mean, I won't go on about Madison. This whole episode could be about this finish for Madison in the 65th minute to make it 3-0 for Leicester away at the Molyneux. But uh, <laughs> Madison is uh <laughs> yeah, Madison is a special player. that's all I'm gonna say. I think this finish kind of embodied and epitomized just how good he can be. He finds space exceptionally well. His shooting technique is second to none. Um his ability to to kind of snapshot a strike and almost in an instant and still generate so much power, it's it's really it's remarkable. It really is. And it's sad that he plays for a team. We're struggling and languishing currently at the bottom of the Premier League table. That could change, however, after these last couple of results for Leicester. You know, the, the Nottingham Forest win and the beating Leeds and now beating Wolves. So things are seeming to be a bit more positive in the East Midlands. Of course, this is an East, Midland derby, East Midlands derby, which will give it even more context and and impetus. And and um, there's more of a rivalry and, and passion and courage in the game that you get typically from a classic Premier League game. But of course, most games are obviously... Hotly contested. This one is also hotly contested. Not really from Wolves' perspective, like I keep saying, because they literally didn't exist. They just showed up to the field like Leicester normally do in the second half, which is when Vardy scored this fourth goal for Leicester. They just show up to the field, typically Leicester, and just play roll over and play dead like a bunch of you know like a like a zombie or like a cemetery or some sort of like graveyard where after you played zombies and Call of Duty and all the zombies are just laying there dead and you're looking for the next set to go kill. Like it really just it. It was, it was a performance of where, where Wolves became Leicester. Because in the second half, Wolves became non-existent. Anonymous pedestrians, passengers, passerbys. And Vardy scoring a goal for Leicester in what feels like forever would tell you just exactly how poor Wolves are. Wolves are and were to let this happen the way it did. I want to know who assisted that goal for Vardy. It was Timothy Castagna. Yeah, he had a very good game for, for, uh, for Leicester, and I mean, everyone on on on, uh, on Leicester was fairly decent. I thought had a fairly good game. I mean, even Danny Ward, their goalkeeper, a keeper. Nobody truly rates had a decent performance. He made some some uh, very very uh, what do you say this? Just very very eye catching saves that you know a keeper of his quality we'd never normally associate these saves with. So definitely a good performance from him. We will now move on to. We will now move. On. It's not 4 3 in the Benfica Juventus game. I look away for like literally 15 minutes and two goals have been scored. Ridiculous. But we now move on to uh, <laughs> Leeds versus Fulham, which is also a very, 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 very good game. Leeds scored early in the match through Rodrigo Moreno, a very good performance. From Leeds again, at least in the opening fifteen twenty minutes of the game, And I wouldn't say in, in the entirety. They didn't just again they didn't roll over and play dead like I said previously, but they weren't uh, as brilliant as Leeds fans were hoping they would be, especially playing at Ellen Road, a place where we know teams go and struggle often a lot. Leeds aren't a team that get beaten easily at home. And for them to lose the way they did in this game shows you just how good Fulham have been this season and how how uh, dangerous they can be when when they're in the form that they're in right now. I mean, they look unstoppable right now. Fulham genuinely they look like a team that are, could never be beaten on any given day right now. And saying that, we see. Uh, this, you know, the goal from Mitrovic, which was the one that kind of canceled it out in only literally six minutes after Rodrigo had scored for, for, uh, for Leeds. Mitrovic then scoring for, for Fulham, who has been literally bagging every single game now. He's nine goals in 11 games or something like that. It's ridiculous. This Mitrovic guy is becoming a joke. Uh, It's unfathomable how, how good he's become this season with, uh, with, Fulham, I mean, I wasn't expecting this type of Mitrovic. yet he scored the occasional penalty and the occasional, you know, long cross and then header. But no, he's been a nuisance nearly every game he plays. And we're seeing it again here. And uh, again, Fulham took some 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 real pride from that moment because going forward, they looked at the team to go on and win, which is obviously what they did. A goal from Bobby de Cordova-Reed, who had a very, 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 very good game as well. Both him and Harrison Reed were both very good. Uh, you know, two players who... Again, let's be honest, when they were last in the Premier League were shocking. Both the Reeds were didn't really stand up for the right reasons. They were just there playing football in the Prem, but they weren't adding any quality to Fulham and probably making them worse. Uh, their best player though by far Fulham is Andreas Pereira, a guy who I've watched for time now at Manchester United and then at Lazio and even obviously in other places i think he's a very good player pereira he had a very good game the rating on mob of 8.7 would tell you that that he had two assists in the match as well instrumental and, and he's just a you know the, the the linking piece that creates every great moment or every bit every good piece of uh, brilliant player football that's been done or gets done rather by fulham this season we saw it again and the same way that um he played well. Willian also had a performance of his life. He also was stood out to me and was brilliant. And I haven't said it about Willian or his name in a long time since he played for Chelsea, really. And to see him again, you know, on the score sheet and being an extremely impactful in the match made me smile as a Chelsea fan. You know how much I love Willian. For me, he's a, a Chelsea cult hero at the bare minimum, if not a legend. He had made it 3-1 three, no, three, for Fulham. And then only in the 90th minute, Chris Somerville, who actually had a pretty decent game, the number 10 for, for uh, Leeds did. Decent finish, assisted by Joe Gellhart, who we know is a Mark Goldberg favourite, if you know, you know, on the United Stand FC, but a really good pass from Gellhart to find uh, Crescencio Somerville, who scored a very good goal, like I said, not the most pretty, but getting in the back of the net is impressive, especially at his young age making it 3-2 and making the last three or four minutes of at a time. Interesting. However, it finished up being a Fulham 3 Leeds United 2. Results, again, I predicted Fulham would win, so I'm happy about that. I knew Fulham would win, but not by the exact scoreline that they did. But overall, a very good game from Fulham and one they should take a lot of pride from because they've been winning fixtures kind of repeatedly now they have a bit of a run of form right now fulham they've looked quite decent as of recently they've they've beaten or they're kind of in and out you could say they beat uh aston villa then they drew with bournemouth then they lost to west ham then they lost to newcastle so they've kind of had a a mixed bag of results but overall they've continued to put out very stellar performances even if they don't pick up three points in that fixture moving on now very quickly we're going to go through these very fast I believe there's only one game left, actually. I think I'm doing a very good job right now. West Ham versus Bournemouth. The game that happened just this past Monday. Go over it very quickly. West Ham are always going to win this match. I predicted a 2-0 win. They won 2-0. What more could you expect at West Ham, especially at home? It goes from Saeed Benrahman and Kurt Zuma in the reverse order, that is. Zuma scored a very... Just unexpected header, which he expected him to score headers, but not the way it fell to him. It kind of hit off another one of the West Ham players. Then it found its way to Zuma. Then it found its way into the back of the net. One nothing to West Ham. Bournemouth didn't really create that many issues. Didn't really pose that many problems. And then in the final seconds after Bournemouth who have been literally getting hard done by not getting penalties for themselves then conceded one thanks to a player in Jordan Zamora who I, I'll be honest it wasn't really a penalty for me I'll be real but it is what it is. One goal for West Ham but was given for them in the first one in the first half for Zuma, hit off the hand of I think Tilo Carrer, but then the referee just let it be and then the one that they scored for their second one was a penalty given against Bournemouth for a handball, which the referee deemed as an intentional hit at the ball, which I thought was ridiculous. But we you know penalties don't make any sense anymore. And if you don't know that by now, then you know that now and you realize that football, at least the handball rule in football, especially in the Premier League, is an utter nonsense. Anyways, Saeed Benrahma steps up from the penalty spot after the penalty kick is given to West Ham after that handball to Jordan Zamora. Makes it 2-0 for the Hammers and West Ham are going home, home and dry. Now, I want to add really quickly on how brilliant Declan Rice was. He really ran this game from minute one to minute 90. A player that we speak about so much on this podcast. And I mean, you hear it everywhere in the football world. The England fans, Jealousy fans, West Ham fans, you know, football fans alike mention how good Declan Rice is or how bad he is, depending on, you know, where you stand on the, the Rice train. But overall, he was excellent. A player who we know is full of quality and only gets better and better week in, week out. So... For Chelsea fans, hopefully comes to the bridge because he's brilliant. Anyways, now on to the final stages of this episode. When we come back from the break, again, we will be looking at the assist of the week and the fraud of the week. And that is it. You know what the goal of the week is already. It's Yuri Telemins. If you didn't catch that, it's Yuri Telemins. It's it's Yuri Telemins. That's for sure. It's Yuri Telemins. And that's uh, that's the final stages of the show. And we'll be back again soon. But we're back again to complete this episode. And then, and then we'll be back again soon. Okay, I'm waffling now. We'll be back again soon um in the future anyways Aston Villa versus Brentford Aston Villa four, Brentford nil Brentford who love a cheeky draw I got one against Chelsea now in this situation you know I don't know how on earth Brentford always do this where they play against big sides and they put up a huge performance and then they play against a smaller side and all of a sudden they just capitulate and crumble and become you know just a, become a a Sunday league side in the blink of an eye and credit to Aston Villa, who just sacked their manager and have now hired, uh, and this is what I want to add actually to this, to this, this part of the, uh, this game, which is the fact that they've now hired Una Emery as their coach following this vi- this victory. But they're sacked, just sacked their manager and just Steven Gerrard. They need a new coach. They got a new coach looking for the new manager bounce with the assistant manager or the caretaker manager. They get it wonderful performance from Aston Villa. Goals of all types of quality. From the the, the classic goal scorer you, you'd think Villa would have in the side, you know, with Danny Ying scoring twice from a penalty spot as well. Ali Watkins and Leon Bailey, who literally was the man of the match in this game by far. He was excellent. My Jamaican brethren really putting out a, a stellar 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10 performance. Did everything well that he, that he was asked to do on the pitch. I thought he was a nuisance, a menace. All 90 minutes long, or however long he was on the pitch for. I don't, I barely remember trying to keep track trying to keep track of all these games is difficult regardless really good performance on the villa Brentford were absolutely destroyed they got obliterated absolutely annihilated from very early in the game um again just villa are such a strange team you would think that with the new manager now with Unai Emery who you could argue has probably accomplished everything he needs to accomplish with the the Villarreal team that he he you know he took over I think he, he's done now. Uh, his, his time at Villarreal is finished, and that win against Brentford will only make him more and more happy to become the Villa boss and see the project that's ahead of him. I think Villa have some fantastic players. Bailey gets an assist for the Denny Ings goal after scoring himself and being assisted by Douglas Luiz for his first goal. That was it really just a, overall, a fantastic, fantastic game from... Uh, from Villa and from from Brentford's perspective, you know, we know what they're like against teams that they expect them to to kind of compete with. They just, like I said, they just stop playing football. Don't know why Brentford do this all the time, but it's quite big, it's becoming quite a trend. So expect this often for Brentford, from Brentford. But they'll definitely bounce back against the next big six side, the big six side they play against. And when we come back from the break, we'll be looking at the assist of the week and the fraud of the week because you already know my goal of the week. I said it already. It's Yuri Tielemans. If you guys didn't hear that, I'm saying it again. Yuri Tielemans, goal of the week. when we come back, We'll be looking at the other famous two of the Stephen Talk Soccer podcast next. And now, ladies and gentlemen, after my weird deliberation in that last segment, at the end of it, rather, on to the assist of the week. I mean, mm, this is a tricky one. I'm going to be honest. It's a very, very tricky game to, to give an assist for. I think I want to say the assist that was for from a woby that played it to um the goal that gave it to uh to what's his name to Dwight McNeil i thought the football that led to that dwight mcneil goal was sensational i really enjoyed what everton were able to do in that last very moment the way that uh dwight mcneil scored that finish or scored the finish, scored the goal and the way it was you know creative from um from almost nothing, and it's not something you associate often with Everton to create these kind of opportunities, these moments the way that they did. I thought this finish was lovely; the the whole move was lovely. Really, really, just a a class class goal from Everton. We see Dwight McNeil dribbling here. Oh, this is brilliant! This combination play from Iwobi and uh, and McNeil is absolutely class. That's my assist of the week. And now onto my fraud of the week. It has to be none other than. You know what? My fraud of the week this week, it's going to be Wolves. It has to be, has to, has to, it has to be Wolves. Wolves have been having a stinker this season. I, it's, it's probably a combination of poor planning, having the, the wrong manager at the helm of the club, a, a variety of many, many, many things. What I can tell you is that Wolves have been frauds and fraudulent for some time. i let it go over the underneath the radar because I, I thought they would just find a way to bounce back, but... As we're seeing right now, Wolves have a very good chance of getting uh, getting relegated. A very, very, very good chance. And I know it's maybe, maybe too early in the season to say so, but it really does seem that way. That it's almost inevitable that Wolves will be somewhere around the bottom you know, five or six places in the Premier League this season. And if they're not, I will generally be surprised. I will, I will bite my tongue and be in utter shock if this doesn't happen. And... Uh, for it to be the case that Wolves are where they are is shocking because they have some very good players similar to what Villa have with some really quality individuals. You look at the likes of Ruben Neves, who we know is linked with a big move nearly everywhere. You look at the likes of, uh, uh what's his name, uh, Mateus Nunez, who signed recently from Sporting in the summer. He's an excellent player. You look at Daniel Podence on his day is good. Adam Macharore, obviously, when Raul Jimenez is fit, he's excellent. They signed Diego Costa. He's a good player. I mean, the list goes on. Even I Nori is a decent player. I mean, they have some really, really skillful players in this team, and you expect more from a Wolves team that are so full of quality, almost littered almost everywhere across the pitch. So the fact that they are where they are is really super fraudulent, and that's why they are my frauds of the week. Thank you guys for listening. As always, this has been the Steven Talks Soccer podcast. I've been your host, Steven the Don. Before I finish, like I always say, make sure to follow, to download, to subscribe to the Steven Talk Soccer Podcast. Please do so, especially now, now that we're at the end of the episode. And make sure to share with everyone that you know that loves football as much as we do on this podcast. You know what it is. I'm here week in, week out. I got more TikToks. I got more episodes coming up You know, by the, uh, by the day. So just keep in your ears and eyes peeled. Thank you guys for listening, as always. For now, I've been your boy, the Don. And as I always say, one time, ladies and gentlemen, deuces. Hey everyone, are you enjoying the content? Please be sure to leave a rating and a review and to check out my other episodes. If you're looking for more Steven Talk Soccer content, you can find me at STS Pod on Instagram, at Steve on Twitter, and at Steven Soccer on TikTok. Become a consistent starter in the STS Squad. <laughs>